0: reconcile himself to me. It wasn't anything I could do to reconcile myself to God. It was the other way around. It was all God. Now, I'm not only free from the penalty of sin, but I can be free from the power of sin. We're not automatically free from the power of sin, but I can be, and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, Now that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I try to obey his commands, I try to follow him. And I admit, I, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit too. I try, and I recognize my failings, and I hate my tendency to disobey. But I know that on the inside I've been declared righteous, uh, but I frequently have to be cleansed from unrighteousness. And we were talking about, you know, the difference between sterling silver and silver plate. Uh, sterling silver, you're you're silver on the inside, uh, but you tarnish. And uh, we know that uh, when we recognize our sin and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So commitment number one, and we, we, what we're doing is we're going through the, the uh, what is that called? Well, it's not membership. It's the uh, covenant. Yeah, we have a covenant. Okay, we hardly ever look at it because we don't use our hymn books anymore. <laughs> but usually it's on the inside of the back cover. Not always. I, I just looked at the one in front of Debbie there, and it wasn't in there. But, but essentially you look through there, and you see all of these things that we covenant to do as members of uh, Harvest Bible Fellowship. And I, and I wanted to get you know, a little deeper into that. So commitment number one, I'm committed. I am committed to giving up my self-centered rights in order to be free from sin's power. And that's the starting point. And the question is whether or not you are willing to give up your self-centered rights in order to be free from sin's power. So now you say, how in the world do we do that? Well, uh, the second one was spend more time in the Word and less time in the weeds. So that's, uh, you know, you ever go on a hike? You know, if you get off the main trail, you're going to be in the weeds, and you're, you're, you're not on the right path. So I came to Jesus loaded with lots of worldly misinformation. I was 33 years old when I got saved, uh, and I learned how the world says that you ought to succeed. Now, this, information, <coughs> this misinformation tends to make me walk apart from God and his righteousness. So all of us bring this, this baggage in with us. Uh, you get saved, you come into church, you come in from the world, and you bring a lot of stuff with you, uh, a lot of baggage with you. Uh, part of our men's uh, study that we did a while ago on, on authentic manhood, one of the first things you've got to do is you've know, got to unpack your bags, get rid of that stuff that, that uh, holds you down, makes you think about other things besides what Christ wants in your life. Now, I can only discover the foundations of pure life, of a pure, in other words, a holy life, By spending time with God and his word. Now I say that, spending time with God and his word. So it's not just reading the Bible that makes a difference. It's reading the Bible with God as your teacher. So we have to have a student-teacher relationship here. It's a relationship with God. So the more time I spend reading, memorizing, and, and meditating on God's word is... The more time I do that, the better my personal relationship with Jesus Christ because I'm doing this with him, you know, in prayer. And the more opportunities I have to practice righteousness. Uh, the world taught me how to practice unrighteousness. I, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to practice righteousness. What's the best way? What's God's way of, of responding? And the less number of times I make poor decisions and wander in sin. So if you make a poor decision, and say, ah, oh, here's a shortcut, uh, just a general rule if it's a shortcut you're going in the weeds so it's not what it's not the way God wants you to go (coughs) so commitment number two I am committed to spending more time in God's word in pursuit of holiness so the question is are you willing to spend more time in God's word in pursuit of holiness you know we get the idea that uh, you know God is perfect Uh, God knows that I'm not perfect you know, to, uh, to forgive is, is divine, but the error is human, you know. And you say, well, God, is, God doesn't expect me to be perfect. God does expect us to be perfect. He wants us to be perfect. Uh, we were created to be perfect. Uh, we are created, we, we have a new life, and it's like going back to the Garden of Eden, you know, before the fall. You know, we have that opportunity to live in righteousness, and it's, it needs to be our pursuit. Now, the third thing we looked about, looked at uh, last week was take up your ministry to serve one another take up your ministry to serve one another okay I was <clears throat> I understand uh, that I was given new life by God to be transformed in, into the image of Christ and I understand that I must earnestly seek direction regarding that, that uh, transformation so I can't just expect God to do it uh, I need to practice righteousness Um, So the first change of inward holiness, um, you know, that we, when you finally say, all right, I'm going to live for God, what you're going to find is you're going to be more like Christ, you're going to have a love for others, and you're going to be interested in spiritual service. So I'm not just going to be sitting here by myself, I'm interested in other people and how I might be able to encourage them in their walk with Christ. So the love that Jesus has for the world must be a model for my love for others. Uh, Sunday school time, uh, we're looking through the life of Christ and see how he was continually having compassion uh, for the people around him. It didn't matter whether they were Jews or Gentiles. It didn't matter. God will continually give me desires and abilities to serve other people. Uh, if you're saying, I don't volunteer for anything, well... Okay, maybe you don't. You know, maybe you're one of those people that just won't volunteer. But I, I know we've got some people here that, that that won't volunteer. But on the other hand, if you ask them to do something, more they're more than willing to do it. And and sometimes we we need that encouragement from others. And we're going to talk about that next. But um, God gives me these desires, and I I looked at a, uh, a, a I was fooling around with pictures. I was I was thinking of putting charts up, but you know one of the things that you could see is that. It's a whole pile of Greek gifts, you know, like like you might expect, you know, under a Christmas tree or something like. Some are small, some are big, some are, you know, medium-sized. God gives us a whole slew of gifts when we get saved. And it's up to us to discover what those gifts are. Some of them we're going to be really good at, some of them we're not going to be so good at. But we need to find out what they are, we need to open these things. And we need to, what we do is we we just look for any opportunity uh, to serve other people, and by, by doing that, by serving other people, what we're actually doing is uh, generating evidence that we have a transformed life. So it's one thing to be accused of something, and it's another thing to for there to be evidence of something. So if somebody accuses you of being a Christian, uh, well, is it just because you say so or because there's evidence in your life you know, that you're living like Christ and living for others? So... Commitment number three, then, would be I'm committed to serving others any way I can to discover God's gifts that he's given me and to glorify him because without him I couldn't have done anything. So I'm committed to doing that, to serving others. Uh, the question is, are you committed to doing that? Notice as we look through this list. All right, new material. Number four in your, in your outline tarry with believers to exhort one another. Tarry with believers. So put believers in that blank and to exhort one another. Uh, the the text for this section is going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, the verse that you're most familiar with is verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It, it just doesn't read right. I, you know, I'm sorry, Pastor Ken. But I tried putting the whole Christian's in here, and it's just, I'm just so used to hearing the King James Version. <laughs> not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I know that every one of you has heard this verse in connection with, if the doors are open, be there. And I, I want you to know it's more than that. Uh, first of all, uh, it's not the building. So, I mean, you can come here and spend an hour here and, you know, get here just in time or a little bit late and leave, uh, you know, just as soon as the service is over. And if you haven't talked to anybody, then that you haven't assembled together. You've been to a building, but you haven't been with people. And our ministry is really to each other. So this is, you know, we, we found our gifts to serve one another. Well, we got to be together to serve one another. And it doesn't just have to be in this building. We need to have fellowship with each other during the week. We need to get together for, you know, it seems like the best excuse Baptists have is for food or something like that, or coffee at, at Tim Hortons or whatever. And it, it, but at any time that we get together, and it's not just so that we can uh, discuss uh, Obamacare or anything like that. No, we've we got to be looking at how is God working in our lives? How is God working in your life? How are your, uh, you know, are, uh, do you have issues in your life that you need help with? And that's why we need to spend time together. So coming to this building is good because we have activities here. we got, we got a, a preacher, uh, Pastor Ken, you know, who, who you haven't heard in a couple of weeks, but he said he's raring to go for next week. You know, and, and we benefit from that. We benefit from Sunday school. We benefit from, from uh, you know, being involved in activities that are done in, in this building. But uh, don't assume that that's your limitation. Uh, we need to get together much more. So the idea of assembling together is being together with other Christians. Where any two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So we're to have a relationship with each other. Now that we, but you see, you can't have that relationship with each other until you understand your relationship with the Lord. And that's why you know each one of these commitments that I'm going to tell you I think is a is a sequence. Uh, I don't think you can go to the end uh, without starting out at the beginning. So according to this passage, one person or one purpose for meeting is to exhort one another. Okay, we, we don't like that word exhort because, you know, people use it in the sense that go do this, you know, go rake the leaves, you know, sort of like you're you're telling your son. Uh, I'm sure David's never heard that, right? So um, take the trash out, take the dog for a walk, you know, and that, that's not exhorting. That's not exhorting. Uh, that's commanding. Exhorting, uh, the word exhort there, you've got to look it up, and it's para call. Para is alongside, "Kaleo" oh, is call. So call alongside Come on with me while we break the lawn. Come on with me while we take all this trash out. Or, we got two dogs, so come on along with me, and we'll walk these dogs. You know, that, that's, the, that's the exhort. Now, so let's look and see, you know, through the rest of Hebrews 9, in what ways we can exhort. So in Hebrews 10, 19, and 21, uh, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, uh, by a new and living way, he has opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. Uh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So these are kind of background verses because, you know, we understood that because that's why we, got, why we know we're saved is because Jesus paid that price. Um, the sanctuary, uh, it refers to the presence of God. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I just don't identify with this being the house of God. Uh, I know people use that in their prayers you know, a lot, but uh, God dwells in our heart. So our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And when we get together, you know, that's the thing that's important. It's not the building. We don't worship this building uh, the way the Jews worship the temple. Uh, so the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies and only once a year, and he did it with fear. Uh, today it's different. So the curtain of the Holy of Holies was that, that high priest used to just kind of Kind of push aside so he could get in. That was ripped from top to bottom. Jesus opened it up for us, that we might be able to go in boldly into the holy of holies, into the presence of God. And we need to remind each other of that. That's what. That's part of this exhortation. Uh, we have a problem. It's not. A, it might be a problem for us, but it's not a problem for God. Let's pray about it. So it's always. A, it's always a point. Even at, at a fellow I used to work with. Uh, how are you doing? Well, I don't know. I've been working on this thing for for a week, and I haven't figured it out. He says, have you prayed about it? This is in a workplace, and that's great. You know, to be able to have, have somebody come along, and you can pray, and God will actually honor prayer, and he did that day. All right, this curtain was pushed aside, uh, but was torn the top of the bottom when Jesus' torn flesh shed his blood on the cross. So that uh, the high priest used to go in there and sprinkle uh, the whole... The, uh, the ark of the covenant, you know, with the with cherubim over it. used to sprinkle it with with blood of a of a of a lamb, and it was a it was, the lamb was dead, but uh, Jesus is alive today, and uh, so he shed his blood on on shed his blood on the cross uh, for that purpose. Now Jesus is declared to be our high priest and the only intercessor between God and man, but he's our high priest, but we are. Consider the priesthood of God. Each one of us can go to God with prayer. Each one of us can intercede for each other. We can pray for each other. So there isn't this hierarchy of, of priesthood anymore. Uh, going on to the next verse, uh, Hebrews 10.22, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. So Jesus has covered all our sins for all time with his blood, and reconciled us to God, the Father. We are to exhort one another, therefore, to be faithful and continuing in a life of holiness. So we're entering the Holy of Holies. We need to be trying as best we can to be holy and, as as we mentioned before, that when we recognize that we're not holy, we need to confess our sin before God. We need to exhort one another to that constantly. Uh... In other words, come along with me while we pray, because none of us is perfect. Every one of us has, has sins. Uh, whenever we uncover a person in, in a fault, we, we just went through that study, uh, we know that we probably contribute a little bit to every conflict that comes up in our life. And think the phrase that I thought that stuck with me. Maybe you're only responsible for 10% of the problem, but you're 100% responsible for taking care of your 10%. So, so we need to encourage one another. Uh, there's always two sides to every conflict. Uh, Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So God is the only one that has the power uh, to uh, keep his promises. Uh, it's The Bible says for us not to promise. It ought to be, you know, Lord willing, I will do this. Uh, But we are to exhort one another to continue in our earnest expectation of seeing God fulfill his promises. Uh, That whole idea of of expectation, of that hope. Uh, It's like the kid waiting on the curb for the the parade to come down the street. He's not just waiting. He's waiting, you know. He's got his his toes, you know, his his, his weights on his toes and he's he's looking down the street. That's... uh, how we ought to be encouraging one another to look forward to God's uh, uh, promises being being uh, actually fulfilled. Uh, Hebrews 10.24, And uh, be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. So he's gifted us uh, to be a functioning part of the body of Christ. Uh, is there any part of you that isn't working? I mean, you know, we're, we're supposed to be a body. You know, you, if, if if part of you isn't working, it's a real problem, isn't it? And if part of me isn't working, uh, I got I I don't know, I got I got a thing in my neck here, you know, and, and I've been going to a physical therapist for it. And what I got to do is is the rest of my body has to do exercises in order to take care of the problem here. Or sometimes you got to go to a doctor and you say, if it doesn't work, take it out. But and that happens in a church sometimes when a person decides they're not going to work and they're not, you know, they're just dead weight. You know, God has a way of removing people. You don't want to be there. So it's important for us to be functioning members of the body of Christ. Uh, one who, as we as we have these these uh, commitments, you know, as we go along, you know, I'm committed to each one of these things. I, you know, I want to be. I want to learn how to be. And we'll uh, we we'll go into that next on on this step. But we're to exhort one another. Um, and finally we get to 10:25 again, uh, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but and this is Homan, uh, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So getting back to our original verse, we, not just the pastor, ought to exhort one another as often as we can get together. So, so we're to exhort one, or, one another to continue in our faith in God our hope in the culmination of his promises, and our love for him as seen through our contributions uh, to the work of the body of Christ. In other words, we're we're to help each other work. So commitment number four, I need to spend as much time as I can with each of you. Not necessarily in this building. Learning and teaching. In other words, this can be a two-way street here learning and teaching to be a functioning member of this local body of Christ. There's some things maybe I'm ahead of you on and there's some things that you're ahead of me on. Uh, I've been challenged by uh, Jessica Shraft on many occasions uh, to pray for others, you know, to actually you know, recognize that, that when you, when you look at, at the news in the morning, you know, rather than, you know, I, I might want to stay away from it, that I don't want to hear all the bad news, but she looks at it and she says, "I know who to pray for." And and there are people who are who are really good at different things, and that's what we need to do is learn from each other. I am willing to make that commitment to spend as much time as I can with you. Uh, I, you know, I read this and I said, "Am I really? Am I really going to? I'm making that commitment. I am. Uh, have I arrived in doing it yet? No." <laughs> but it's something I'm committed to do, and that's what we need to commit to each other. All right, number five, tarry with believers to encourage one another. So now we have the same title, but now we just have to encourage. Now, kind of an interesting thing here. Encourage and exhort are the same word. So you say, all right, what in the world's the difference here? Well, uh, exhort would mean God and I or somebody else Will train you how to do something. In other words, they will call you alongside, and they will train you how to do something. Okay, that's exhorting. Uh, encouraging is, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to talk you through it. In other words, I'm, I'm going to stand back now, and I'm going to give you a chance to do it yourself. And, and you know, and, and of course, there's a there's a phase in there where you got to got to do both, you know, for a while. But but eventually, what you do is you get the person instead of following me. Follow the Lord. I want you to become independent. I want you to get greater than me. Uh, A person can only be as as good as their teacher. And I'm not going to claim to be better than God himself in directing you how to uh, do what you can do for him. So, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.10, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly Uh, we conducted ourselves with you believers. So now you're you're the witnesses. Uh, Now, devoutly uh, means knowing my duty to God and man. So I study the Bible. I know what I'm supposed to do. Okay, upright means I'm going to do what I know is my duty to God and man. Uh, Blameless is keeping my reputation before God and man. I don't want to be somebody who just says he's going to do something. I want to be a person who's going to do this. Uh, we need to help each other in that regard. I mean, I just made some commitments to you that I haven't done yet, and, and you're going to say, hey, uh, you know, you said you're going to spend some time with uh, me. Maybe, you know, you might want to be the one that says, uh, come on over to Tim Hortons or whatever. But the point is that we need to be uh, accountable to each other uh, just as we're accountable to God. Uh, Going on in First Thessalonians chapter two, verses eleven and twelve, and you know, like a father with his own children, we uh, encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you uh, into His own kingdom and glory. So this father, uh, and we're talking about a personal relationship here. So when I'm encouraging you, you know, that, that infers that we have a personal relationship to begin with. And it's it's a respected relationship so that when I say something, you're not going to say, well, he's just saying it. Uh, We joke around about that, you know, when when you don't have a relationship with somebody like, you know, at Kodak. You look at somebody and they're doing a job and you say, you you know, you're doing a great job. And what that means is I'm glad you're doing that job because then I don't have to. You know, that, that doesn't require any kind of relationship. But when you're talking about another Christian and you want them to be the best they can be for the Lord with the gifts that God has given them, then that's encouragement. Um, so encourage, you know, it's call alongside. Comfort, uh, you know, he uses each one of the words. We encouraged you, we comforted you, uh, and implored. Uh, we actually, you know, the first encourage there I really think is along, call alongside. Comfort is I talk you through it. It's the same parakaleo. And implore uh, really means that I'm gonna witness to your, to your progress. Uh, Mary Ann's much better at this than me. You know, I, I look at the end result and I said, "You're not there yet." Mary Ann will look and she said, "You know, that person's really changed a lot." Usually, it's with students at school, you know, and I, I, I would look and say, "You know, they're goofing off," and she says, "Oh yeah, but they're, they're, they got all our work done." Oh. Huh. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, she's she's much better at being able to recognize, you know, a progress, and the progress is something you want to. Uh, tell people about. You know, I see that you're really growing in this area, and that's that's the uh, that's the idea of implore. In other words, I'm going to witness to your progr- progress. I'm even going to tell other people about it. You've done a good job. Uh, most of you didn't know what what uh, was it. Ben, yeah, what Ben was talking about. Uh, no, it was Luke. Okay, Luke was you know one one. Uh, Sunday evening, we were, we were doing going through the conflict class, and uh, Marianne and I had been there for all, all the uh, sessions. And he said, "You get a green dot." There was a green dot. I thought you were going to give out gold stars. Well, green dot, you know, when you're going to school, which which he did, you know, under Marianne, green dot meant you got all your goals done. You got no homework, and this is just to recognize. And when you get green dots, you get green dot treats. You get green dot. Uh, uh, all kinds of you know, extra benefits for getting a green dot. So in case you didn't know what a green dot was. Okay, that's, that's witnessing your progress. That's, that's letting everybody know uh, that you're doing well. So the goal for every student is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And it's a big responsibility for a mentor to train. Uh, well, it's, it's difficult for a mentor to transfer that role model from himself in other words, you can't be better than your master. It would be better for your, to transfer that from your, your the role model from, from yourself in order to get them over to looking to God and, and, his, uh, and his leadership. So Because we're all inadequate for the complete task uh, until then. Um, so until then, uh, look at 1 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, Uh, For power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses. In other words, I'm I'm not the end. I'll tell you what I can, uh, but you can go further uh, than what I know. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, I'm I'm weak, and, and the fact that I'm doing anything at all uh, and it actually glorifies God because it's him that's working in me. Uh, back to uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, 13 and 14. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the message about God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but at it, as it truly is, the message of God, which also works effectively in you believers. <coughs> For your brothers became imitators of God, Churches in Christ, God's churches in Christ, uh, uh, that were in Judea. So Paul's thankful heart gives God the credit for how He has worked in your lives. Uh, the pastor will never take the credit for you know anything, uh, whether the church grows or whether you know people become more mature. Uh, we all do our part. Again, I say it's not just His responsibility; it's all of our responsibility to encourage, in other words, to build up each other. Uh, so commitment number five I am committed to spend as much time as I can with each of you that me, we might encourage one another to effectively respond to God's leading and to the desires that God puts in our heart in other that God will put desires in our heart we need to encourage each other to follow the desires that God puts in our hearts uh we shouldn't be influenced by what other people tell us we can or can't do. We should be working with what God has put in our desire. He will, will he, he will, it will put. Uh, how's the verse going? He will put the will and, and to work uh, in our hearts. So that's uh, that's my commitment number five to you. Uh, I would pray that each one of you would make that commitment to each other. That that we would. Uh, encourage one another so not only help train one another but to lift each other up above ourselves Uh, the whole idea of a ladder you know, the way the world does it is you're on a ladder and there's a whole bunch of other people on a ladder and what you're doing, anybody that's underneath you 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 push them down and anybody that's up above you, you you pull them down and that used to be the standard comment about ethnic jokes if you're telling ethnic jokes it it tells everybody else who you're next to so you're trying to pull somebody down. You're trying to push them down or whatever. And what we ought to be doing is having our, our sights sent on, on God. And what we're trying to do, is, especially with each other, is to, to get each other to the point where we're, we're all closer to God. So number six. Uh, you don't have to leave. Okay. This is going to be about our pastor. <laughs> number six. Remember your pastor to rejoice before God. Now we're gonna we're gonna connect these things. So the most important person, words, we're talking about encouraging here. The most important person that you can encourage is your pastor. Uh, I won't call him the quarterback, you know he might be the halfback, the one who gets, you know, runs past everybody or the punt returner or something like that. You know, you've watched them on television and, and it all takes a team. And the guy on the line never gets nobody ever hears about anything about the guy on the line. But if those guys don't make a hole for that halfback, he's not going anywhere. And if the guys on the line don't protect the quarterback, there's no way he's going to make a pass. Uh, you know, it, it takes a team. It takes everybody. But somebody has got to call the place. And God has ruled using men in the Old Testament. He used judges, kings, and prophets. In the present time, God rules from heaven through spirit-controlled men on earth. Ephesians 4. 11 through 13, and personally gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints. We're to be trained in the work of the ministry. We're supposed to take up our ministry to build up the body of Christ. So we're, we're supposed to build each other up until we all reach unity. And the whole, that's the thing, that's a relationship that God has. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a, have a unity and He wants us to be unified with him. You know, just Jesus in John 17, you know, he said, just as I have this relationship with you, uh, I want this relationship with my disciples. Till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man, mature person, with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Notice it's it's God's stature that we're trying to be built up to, not each other's. So one day Jesus will do away with heaven and earth that we know and personally rule both from the new earth. Uh, God will hold every person responsible for his or her uh, response to commands in the in the Word of God and to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the ways we see this is God will hold every husband responsible for leadership in his family. But to the point here, God will hold every pastor responsible for leadership in his local church that man right there Pastor Ken Todd is responsible uh, if God were to come back today he'd, he'd look at what we're doing and uh, Pastor Ken would be judged you know as a result so Hebrews 13 17 says obey your leaders and submit to them uh, for they keep watch over your souls uh, this is a great thing I think it's in Ezekiel where he talks about the watchman you know, if the watchman raises the the, uh, the alarm and people respond and go to safety, then the watchman's done his job. Uh, if the watchman raises the alarm and people don't respond, the blood's on their hands. But if the watchman doesn't raise the warning, then he is the one that's responsible. So he is the one that will give an account so that they can do this so that we all can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So we should obey our pastor, first of all, because God says to. Otherwise what we're saying is, I'm going to do it my way. Getting back to the first page here, you know. Uh, am I gonna be am I willing to, to serve or am I do I want to be in charge of everything? We don't want to do that. Uh, and obeying our pastor, we are obeying God. Uh, it's His responsibility to watch over our souls. That's uh, one of the things I noticed when I was when I was working uh, at, at well any place. Uh, when management tells you this is the direction we're going to go, then I'm if I go that way, the responsibility is not on me. Uh, the responsibility is on the person who made the decision. Um, I mean, I got paid either way, but. Uh, it's only until recently when they started pushing responsibilities down and that the ones who get fired are the people who tried to do the job. That's not the way it is with God. and it's not the way it is with the church. So if the pastor leads incorrectly, we're all losers. If the pastor leads correctly and we don't follow, then he will win but with grief. As Paul said, you know, I, I don't want to do this with grief. I want you all to follow, to keep going. Uh, so he will win with grief, but we will lose, because he's done his job as a watchman. If we follow his lead and his accounting before God is with joy, we're all winners. We all get the Super Bowl ring. In other words, it, it, it's not just the guy who makes the, you know, the, the, the punt return all the way to the end zone. You know? it's, it's all of us You know, as a team. Uh, work together, we all win. Uh, Second Corinthians 4, 5, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your slaves, because of Jesus. So our pastor must rule over us not as a dictator, but as God's steward, because this is God's church. Uh, he doesn't have a chance to be a dictator because, you know, we have Pastor Jim Mates and myself, uh, and and other other people that he he relies on, uh, people from his past. Uh, Pastors that he knows uh, that he studied under when he was in college, he, he checks all these to make sure that he's he's understanding uh, God's direction. So it's it's not it's not as a dictator. Uh, so remember uh, Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you, and you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. So this this is a huge uh, challenge for Pastor Ken because. He must be an example of godliness, and we must follow his example. But for every other leader in this church, for anybody who's trying to teach somebody something, we need to be the role model. Uh, getting back, you know, way back to, to the first thing here, you know, we're called to holiness. If we're not called to holiness, what are we doing here? And, you know, if we're going to say, you know, do as I say, not as I, as I do, then we're, we're just being hypocrites, and we don't want to do that. So just as he has this, this responsibility of, of uh, an example of godliness, uh, so must me, so must uh, we also. First uh, Thessalonians 5:12 and 13. And we ask you brothers to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. So recognizing the love that our pastor has for us, recognizing his physical and spiritual uh, labor among us, uh, and the responsibility for which he must give an account before God. Uh, I want you to know he's not wearing that back brace for no reason. <laughs> uh, I keep telling him one of these days you're going to grow up and you realize you're not 25 years old anymore. You know, so there, you know physically there, there starts to become limitations as to what we can do. But I know his heart is there always to help people, uh, not, just, not just physically, but especially spiritually. And that's why he went to this conference on discipleship. So, that, so it's called transformational discipleship. So we're not just supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to be actually transformed. That's the difference between a student who just wants to take a course, uh, get a degree, never learn how to apply anything to his life. And a, and a person who says, I want that to be a part of my life. And so that's, uh, that's our desire in life. So we need recognizing that love and that, that labor. Uh, we are to, I would say, I put these things down. First of all, we're supposed to love him. Uh, care for him. Look at what his needs are. Uh, help him. You see him doing something. I was about ready to go yesterday until I found it. Ed and, uh, let's see, Brian. Brian went with him and, oh, and Dave, yeah. And, oh. Where's Dave? Dave? My eyes are, ah, <laughs> oh, oh, is this a Dave that went? Oh, that David. oh. I, I was thinking uh, uh, Dave and uh, Sherry, was it? Oh, Matt Dunn. Okay. Some of these guys that helped us uh, move, move the girls, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, they, they just got in there, and they, they were willing to lift everything. I mean, they had the straps. I mean, these guys, are, they've, they've been around enough to you know, get their professional devices in order to be able to do things. And, and, uh, and they got the vehicles to do it, and, and it, just, it just helped so much. And anything to keep him from carrying something. So you see, he's going to move somebody. Don't just let him do it by himself. You know, we need to love him. We need to, uh, we need to have a high regard for him. And and when you have a high regard from somebody, you're, you're going to brag on him. And and not, and, and I don't mean bragging in a way of of, of trying to make his head swell or something like that. But just recognize, uh, you know, that a person is laboring among you, and they really care about you, and support them in any way you can. I mean, that, that's not. I mean, we're going to talk about finances next, but. But the, uh, the point is there are lots of ways to be able to support somebody, you know, with your time and your talent, uh, as well as your treasure. So commitment number six, I am committed to encourage my pastor. Put myself on the line there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm making myself responsible for all these things. As much as I can by following his lead in whatever endeavor God has laid on his heart, in order to make his accounting before God profitable for all of us now hopefully that's your commitment also okay finally give number seven give to the needy and receive more to give you know we always always said well I gave and I didn't get anything back well that all depends on what you want to give, get back for you know I mean is, is the idea that you're serving God so that you get something or you, the, the idea of serving God so that you can, you can do more for him uh In Old Testament times, there were several types of giving that added up to as much as 40% of their income. So if you want to follow the law, remember it's not just 10%. Old Testament times, uh, once you cared, uh, those times you cared for the temple, you cared for the Levites, you cared for the poor, and you had to leave your, your fields fallow on the sabbatical year. And then you provided for those in need. So you were encouraged to, but once you did all that, God says you can enjoy everything you got left. And there's no guilt, and you can praise God for what you have. And I you say, well, if we did all that, I wouldn't have anything left. Well, <laughs> that's because what we do is we spend our money first on what we want, and we leave God until the last. And we've we got to get over that. We've got to get over that. I mean, that's, that's, that's the world talking think about that especially this time of year I don't have to say anything else <laughs> alright uh, so New Testament times we don't have to support the temple but we are expected to give on the first day of the week to provide for church ministries that's what we do uh, 1 Corinthians 16 2 on the first day of the week that each of you set something aside and save in keeping on uh, in keeping with how he prospers in other words you can't give more than you have uh, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. So in New Testament times we don't have to support the Levites, but we're expected to generously provide for our pastor. First Timothy 5:1 five or 517 rather. I uh, use the new King James on that. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Uh, I mean it, it costs money to live in the United States. And and it shouldn't be what, what we're doing if we don't if we don't take care of all of our pastor's needs what we're doing is we're forcing him to worry about how he's going to work, how he's going to live in this world. And that shouldn't be his direction. His direction should be looking into the word to find out what our spiritual needs are. Or right, in the New Testament times we're encouraged to give as much as we can. Uh, Luke 6:38 given and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over that uh, be poured into your lap. I remember Marianne doing a object lesson on that. She had, uh, uh, you know, cooking, you know, when you when you, when you think of sifting and, and then packing down like you, like you do sometimes when you put lard into a, or, or Crisco or whatever, into a uh, container, you know, with water in it, you know, you, you press it down and, and, you know, running over and pour it into your lap. So God says if you do this, if you give, it will be poured into your lap for the, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Okay, well, keep that in mind. In Old and well in New Testament times, we're encouraged to give cheerfully. Cheerfully is an internal conviction. Okay, not grudgingly or out of necessity. That's an external pressure. Do it because God lays it on your heart. And if he doesn't lay it on your heart, then you to got to go back to step one. you got to say, am I alive? You know, is God even talking to me? We need to notice we need to have that relationship with God before he can, he can say, you know, I really want you to give this. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. In Old Testament, uh, as well as New Testament times, good things are given to us by God to glorify himself. It's not, it's not a reward for us. So he provides the, for the needy, and the week through us. We are to be channels of his, of his blessing. So it's not a question of whether or not we're, we need, oh, this is my reward. You know, I've done this, God's going to reward me. No, no, no. no. Uh, God rewards us. Or it doesn't reward us. When God gives to us, that's just all the more that we can funnel out to other people. We need to be channels of his blessing. Uh, Second Corinthians uh, 9, 8 and 9. God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, having uh, everything, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, He scattered; He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Let let God. You know, let, let your finances be controlled by God. Don't try to control God with your finances. Uh, he's the one that provides. If you want to be a good channel. Of, of his provisions, and it's not just again. It's not just money. You know, it's 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 our talents, it's our it's our uh, the time that we have. Uh, you find out that the more time you spend with him, the more money uh, you give to him, the more uh, the more you use your talents for him, the more he's going to give to you. So we're faithful channels, if we are faithful channels, he will keep the blessings coming through us. Want to see that happen? Don't think about yourself. You know, think about him first. If we think that God's blessings are rewards for us to hoard or to glorify ourselves, his blessings for our needs as well as our giving will cease. He says, prove me, and I'll I'll open up the windows of heaven. Uh, But you want to prove yourself, you're on your own. Follow God's example. Follow his his directions. And... uh, you will be blessed as you're blessing others. So if we follow God's plan, we'll provide. If we don't, we're on our own. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 and 12, my last two verses, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. It's not like the Pharisees, you know, where you say, hey, everybody, notice I'm giving something. No, no. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. So, my last commitment, commitment number seven, which I hope is your commitment also. I am committed to living frugally. I'm not going to spend on my wants. I'm going to spend on my needs. God will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm committed to living frugally and give as God lays on my heart. I need to have that relationship to know what he wants me to give before I consider my own needs. Look to the needs of others. Uh, that God would be glorified in all of his provisions. So there's uh, there's seven commitments for you uh, that I'm willing to make that I think are are necessary from God's word and that are incorporated in our covenant of, of membership here. And maybe you never Thought about the covenant or what our relationship should be, but you find that these pretty well define, you know, what that covenant is. So I just pray that each one of us would uh, take these these seriously. So let's let's pray.